You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Hide-and-seek is a hard-to-flush botnet. A phishing technique takes advantage of an email client's rendering of HTML. Facebook death threats in 2015 are said to have been the work of Fancy Bear, dressed up as the Cyber Caliphate. Nigeria's Yahoo boys are busier than ever. DHS wonders what it will take to get U.S. federal contractors to get rid of Kaspersky. Crooks turn from Tor to Telegram. We've got some Patch Tuesday notes. And Georgia's governor vetoes a controversial cybersecurity bill. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, April 9th, 2018. There are some possibly unpleasant developments in the world of IoT botnets. Hitherto, you've been able to clear botnet malware from an IoT device by resetting the device. This works because most of the botnet software normally resides in memory, which a reboot flushes. This, however, may be changing. In what Bleeping Computer describes as a game-changer, Bitdefender has described its discovery of the hide-and-seek botnet, an IoT botnet that survives device reboots. Under certain circumstances, hide-and-seek copies itself to a folder that houses daemon scripts in Linux-based operating systems, and routers and IoT devices tend to run on a Linux-based OS. Bitdefender thinks hide-and-seek is still something of a work in progress, and that large-scale distributed denial-of-service attacks are for now unlikely, but the new approach to achieving persistence in the bot herd will bear watching. Avanon reports finding Base Striker, a phishing technique that crafts HTML and emails so the malicious links, even those on a blacklist, pass through the Safe Links feature of Microsoft Office 365's Advanced Threat Protection. It works by using the base tag to split the malicious link in two. SafeLinks passes it, but then the Outlook email client reassembles the link into a nicely rendered and clickable form. The AP says it has evidence showing that 2015 threats communicated via Facebook to spouses of U.S. military personnel were not in fact from ISIS. The unusually repellent threats appear to have been the work of Fancy Bear, which is, of course, Russia's GRU. The threats, issued under the false flag of the cyber caliphate, would threaten military families. Here's a representative sample the AP offered. Quote, Dear Angela, Bloody Valentine's Day. We know everything about you, your husband, and your children. 
We're much closer than you can even imagine. End quote. The threats were, at the time, widely believed to be genuine ISIS communications. They're not the only time the GRU represented itself as ISIS. It did something similar during the hack of France's TV5 that same year. Those operations, arriving around the time of the ISIS-inspired massacre at Charlie Hedbo, were even more disturbing. We've had occasion recently to follow the doings of Nigeria's Yahoo Boys and the gangs that employ them. They've been busy. Palo Alto Networks compared 2016 and 2017 and found a significant increase in the rate of cyber attacks by the Nigerian gang Palo Alto Tracks as Silver Terrier. Silver Terrier made on average 17,600 attempts each month during 2017, up from 2016's average of 12,200. The gang's operations are socially engineered, so look to your user awareness training. It's become a standard part of just about every large data breach story these days. Countless usernames and passwords are revealed, which of course leads to recommendations from service providers or authorities to change your passwords. Philip Dunkelberger is president and CEO of Knock Knock Labs, and he also works with the FIDO Alliance, a group looking to bring standards-based authentication to the masses. He maintains that usernames and passwords have outlived their usefulness. One, they were never designed for usability. They were really designed for quick local access. And access, if you think back, they were invented in the mainframe days. So terminal access and use. They were really not designed to be really usable. They, they, they had no idea of using something like a PC or, you know, even more troublesome, a tablet or a laptop, where you've got much less screen space and keyboard space. The complication that has come in trying to secure them uh, upper and lower case, special characters, uh, longer lengths, changing them all the time, doing essentially password re- rotation uh, has not worked well. Uh, the other piece is that from a security standpoint, you end up storing them in some kind of container or database that becomes a large attack surface that if I want to steal credentials, I can just attack that particular database and steal a lot of people's credentials. And what is that has led to from a security standpoint 81% of the people, according to the Verizon studies and echoed by Dr. Larry Poneman, who invented cost of a data breach, 81% plus of all data breaches begin with a stolen credential. So usability, not good for tablets and phones from a security standpoint, creates a big attack surface and is really not secure in a modern architecture today. And so in your estimation, what's next? What is next is the industry who created that particular uh, modality, usernames and passwords and other types of, of inventions over time, has got to think about the problem differently. And the way we've been able to do that is think about things like, what would it mean to the world if we didn't have to use passwords anymore, if we could use a better, more natural way of logging in? Something like a selfie or a fingerprint swipe or your voice. Those would be something that would be an improvement from a usability standpoint. And then could we separate the idea of storing large amounts of information or biometrics on a back-end database that could be attacked? So both of those ideas are something that the industry has been working on, and that has led us to the announcement this week of two standards bodies. One is a recommended standards body, the FIDOalliance.org, and the W3C, which is an official standards body that governs a number of different uh, standard protocols for the internet. 
The one that we'll talk about today is the browser protocol and being able to standards organizations with a lot of industry heavyweights in it coming together to find a better way to do authentication. So let's dig into that some. Um, take us through what are you all hoping to achieve with the browser standards? Uh, the browser standards that were announced was the coming together of the FIDO uh, Alliance, which means Fast Identity Online, which has had over 300 plus companies involved in developing a protocol or a handshake. Being able to replace common usernames and passwords or other non-scalable items like deploying hardware, you know, small tokens, those kind of things that are very costly to manage and replace. Replacing that with an infrastructure that basically turns uh, secure elements on your device or on your laptop or on your phone and common ways of using it like a selfie or, uh, or your voice or a fingerprint. All of those things being able to replace a username and password in a standard format that allows people to plug them together easily and build a better way of authentication. And so what kind of a timeline do you suppose we're on in terms of making this an official standard? Well, that's a great question. Uh, standards usually take, I was involved, uh, I was the CEO in a prior life of pretty good privacy, PGP, as it's well known in the industry. Hmm. That standards body of making an encryption standard took us roughly 10 years. Because of the pressing problems that we have with uh, the theft of credentials and the large attack surfaces that are out there, when we've been able to get to this kind of recommended standard in less than five years. And I think that what we're going to see is the rollout beginning later this year with people like Google and Microsoft announcing at the most recent RSA conference that this will be available uh, over the course of their product deliveries over the next year. So this is going to be available on a broad scale within a year. All of these are just component parts of the protocol that will let the technologists implement it and let the users, whether they're corporate users or, or consumer users, enjoy the benefit. And so we didn't dig the hole of usernames and passwords in, in you know, five years. We're not going to get out of this in a, in a short period of time. But for the first time, we're building new roadways or thinking about the roadways differently than we have in the past to make usability and security something that's available to everybody. That's Philip Dunkelberger from Knock Knock Labs. You can learn more about the FIDO Alliance and their authentication standards at FIDOalliance.org. Microsoft patched some 67 issues with its products yesterday. One of the vulnerabilities addressed merits particular attention. CVE 288174, which affects the way the Windows scripting engine handles certain classes of objects, is already being exploited in the wild. Adobe also patched addressing issues in Flash Player and the Adobe Creative Suite. VPN Mentor is offering an unofficial fix for vulnerable Dasan Gpon routers. If you can't wait for Dasan, give the offer a look, but a circumspect and a cautious one. Unofficial stuff can be good, but caveat emptor. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security is wondering what it will take to get federal contractors to purge Kaspersky products from their systems. Secretary Nielsen is musing aloud and darkly about punitive contracting measures to bring the primes and subs into line. Feeling increasingly exposed and ill at ease on tour, it appears that the criminal underground is turning to Telegram when it feels the need for an online forum. Georgia Governor Nathan Deal has vetoed that state's ill-received State Bill 315, 
called catastrophically stupid in Boing Boing's headline assessment, which would have criminalized many common and legitimate security research practices. It also would have authorized certain forms of hacking back under the rubric of active defense. The hack back provisions of the law were also greeted with widespread skepticism. A number of commentators thought the bill would not only have criminalized innocent white hats, but also inspired poorly informed and difficult to contain cyber vigilante activity. So there you go. Those checks and balances you learned about in high school civics class are alive and well in the Peach State. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Joe, welcome back. Hi, Dave. So uh, you sent over an interesting article. It was about the state of Delaware, who sort of dipping their toes in the water to have mobile driver's licenses. Right. What's going on here? I'll tell you what I think, and uh, this is just me uh, doing what's probably the easiest part of uh, of my job, and that's going, this is going to be bad. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. So the uh, the mobile driver's license, two of the key features that the article talked about, one of them was the ability to identify yourself as over the age of 18 or over the age of 21 without having to disclose other information like your address and your name and everything. Which oh, is, I see. Which right. is a good concept, a good idea. I like that idea. Um, my so I can get into. Let's say I'm I'm someone who wants to get into a bar. Right. I can hand. I can. Uh, I don't know, use this ID with the bouncer at the door 
Without that bouncer finding out where I live. Right. It just has a picture of you and says, yes, you're over 21. I see. And mm-hmm. that's it. Right. And that's great. If there was a way to secure that to be the only way that, that a picture of you could show up on your phone with the statement saying, yes, you're over 21, then, uh, then that would be fine. However, uh, my prediction is that there will be all kinds of apps uh, released that will permit people to have essentially what amounts to a fake ID. Right. That, you know, here, just smile for this picture, and we'll put up the picture and say, yes, you're over 21 in this app. And it's hard to put a hologram on an on iPhone app. Right? It, it absolutely. It's, <laughs> I don't know that it's possible to put right, an, right, a hologram right. on an iPhone app. Well, but also uh, there's some interesting uses uh, from law enforcement to use this during a traffic stop. They talk about the officer could uh, ping your smartphone and request the driver's license information before even walking up to your vehicle. That's right. And and that that gives me concern because my my initial reaction or thought on this is as soon as this comes out and becomes widely available, everybody who has a malicious intent will be trying to get into every single person's driver's license who has one of these one of these apps on their phone. Hmm. It's basically a big sign that says come hack me. Not, not that there's, I know, I know of any vulnerabilities about on this system, right? But it is certainly part of the attack surface that is going to garner a lot of attention. Yeah, it's interesting because so far, you know, you the, the driver's license is something that we've kept off of our smart devices. Right. You have your license in your wallet, you know, all that information, your driver's license number. Yep. Uh, generally, I, I don't have on my phone. So you know, we talk about how all of this private information is on our phone. Well, this would push even more to your exactly. mobile device. It would, it would push more information that is not usually on your phone to your phone. Uh, and I have, I just have a concern, a couple of concerns with this. I'd like to like to learn a bit, little bit more about it. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, hopefully, it'll be one of those things you can opt into. So for the folks who well, see the benefits of it, they could do it. But if you wanted an old-fashioned driver's license, you could still do that. It's very easy to opt out. You just tell them that you don't have a smartphone. Ah, and you hope nobody calls you while you're uh, staying right. in line and telling them that, right? And if it does ring, you just go, I, I don't know what's happening. Right. What's that noise? <laughs> right. I hear that noise every now and then. I'm not oh, sure I'm, what it is. I'm about to back up. That's right. <laughs> right. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining it's us. my pleasure, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, 
John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.